I feel bad because Westsoft just got about two minutes of me eating cookies. Well, I mean, you got about two minutes of me eating corn, green beans, and quinoa, so uh, who's who's mm. winning here? Clearly, you're trying to battle off that heat of the U.S. Open. And on that note, you ready? You ready? Let's do this thing. That was terrible, but yeah, let's do this. <laughs> Three, two, one. <laughs> Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, (laughs) brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin. We're bringing you another high-energy intro today. Give me the roaring lions. Give me the boat landing at the dock. Give me an airplane taking off. Give me the horses (laughs) off the track. Give me the thunder, the tornado, the hurricane, all of the nature's finest elements in the background. Don't forget the earthquake, baby. (laughs) <laughs> we are back for a round two recap of the U.S. Open here at the Great Shot Podcast. Joining me, as he always does, my doubles partner, partner in crime, and I haven't used this in about a year, so I'm going to go with it, the 2017 Club Tennis National Champion. It's our very own Maxwell Labauer Rothman. Maxie, hey, great shot. Almost as cool as winning a U.S. Open, baby. There it is. I just want, I really want in the background Westoff or Fliegner to put the ha, 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 like that sound effect oh, I with thought, the I thought champion. you were going the, the we are the champions, my friends. I mean, sounds like a win-win to me. Either way, good to have you back. Obviously, we missed you on the last podcast. That's probably why we had the technical difficulties. You hacked into Fliegner's computer because you were salty. Yeah, I so hacked into his computer you. from the Sam Smith concert. That's how I do it. <laughs> Look, if anyone's going to learn how to do that specific thing, it's definitely you. But also joining us on today's podcast, before we get into all of the action, it is everyone's favorite Crack Rackets contributor, the former four-star on TennisRecruiting.net, and the personification of tennis cocaine. It's our very own Matthew Stokowiak. Matt, hey, great shot. What's up, boys? Back again. I know it's late, but I'm not tired. Are you tired? Come on. Never tired. And we, sh- we should also mention you are recording this for the first time on your own computer. So to people who didn't get our joke about you being tennis cocaine, they'll now get to hear all of those tones just even more clearly. More crisp. That's right. That's right. I think it's going to work out great. Like, isn't it? <laughs> Never mind. You know what? I'm say it. No, no, say it. Say no, it. No, 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 no. Come on. Max, we both know the two biggest listeners up to this podcast are both of our mothers, so I'm not <laughs> going to say the joke that I have. But needless to say, it is great to have you both back. A little bit of housekeeping before we begin. If you have missed anything from this year's U.S. Open, you want to see predictions, you want to see previews, you want to know the matches to watch every day, anything you could want, go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. Our team has been working there. Wait, Alex, off. what was that website called? Oh, that's a great question, Max. It's crackedrackets.com. Cracked Rackets. How, how do you spell racket there? Is that a, a CK? Well, a little insider baseball. I'm pretty sure you spelled it wrong on something in Vermont. I'm no, pretty sure you put the R. I said, should I bring a cracked racket? And <laughs> <laughs> in case you guys are curious, it is spelled R A C Q U E T S. Cracked Rackets. Let me tell you that again. That's a cracked R-A-C-Q-U-E-T-S. 
All right, well, this isn't an infomercial, so these people aren't repeated listening to our... Make whoa, sure you your face. These people aren't... Re- you know, the, it's, we demand a higher class of listener here at The Great Show. How many times have we done high- that bit? Like, can we just... Four, Can we please five? get back to... The, should we get back to the tennis talk? I mean, we're really off the deep end here. The high-energy intro was risky. I knew it going in. I knew I, mean, I might if you want to talk us about... If, excuse me. If you want to talk about launching CR Live, let's just <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> okay, so then perfect. Again, the team of Writers Crack Rackets keeping you appraised. And if you want a visual of these writers, go check out our newest platform that we launched, the CR Live. Welcome to the CR Live. You guys know the deal. You'll get to see Max and I in person. We got to go to Stowe, Vermont, interview a bunch of great players for the Stowe Mountain Lodge Classic. I got to go to Cincy, interview a couple players there. We'll have a series of Bo Trays from the City Open where he interviewed a bunch of players. So just be on the lookout for that new content because it really is exciting for us to get to launch that and just you know further our coverage of the game even more so. Also, if you don't already, follow us Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know that's for your more immediate updates throughout this week, uh, throughout this last Grand Slam of the year, and then of course, last well, but not least, also wait before rate, before you get going, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got all of our interviews, all our live coverage, and it's another place where you can subscribe. And you know us, we love subscriptions. Does YouTube count as a social media account? Is that a thing? I'm just trying to know for next week's outline. Sure. Yeah, right, I'll throw it in that category as well. Perfect. And then again. Rate, review, subscribe to the Cracked Interviews podcast as well as this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast. We would love to interact with you fans, listen to any questions you have. You know, a couple weeks ago, Max posed the question of how do fans watch their tennis when they're not at these actual events? What platform do they use? You know, that's something we'll be talking about a lot after this U.S. Open. Fortunately for us, you know, this U.S. Open is very available for watching, or at least if you're willing to time if you scheme properly and plan your 10-day free trial for espn plus correctly <laughs> because by the time we get to the semifinals, those matches are on espn as long as you have some sort of cable account you'll be good so again do all those things but max the the one other thing i want to do before we start today's show we have a live show coming up our first ever live show which we're going to be doing during this year's U.S. Open's men's final, we're going to be streaming that online. Uh, you know, if you want to come, please do. We would love to have fans. Uh, but, you know, it's a really big deal on the Crack Rackets front. Yeah. I, I mean, if you haven't, <laughs> I was going to say, if you're not following us, you you should, and you will see plenty of advertising for it. We'll be doing live coverage. We'll be calling in some coaches, some players, might even call in a fan if you're lucky enough. And... It's just going to be a good time. We we haven't had the chance to really show you guys what our you know live broadcasting is besides Stowe, and uh, we really enjoyed doing it there. And this is just a, a really cool opportunity to be able to bring you some of our live thoughts. And I mean, probably the best part about the live thoughts is the idea. I'll be swearing, you know, you're going to get all of that live. No quacks. No, oh, definitely no quacks. Westoff's going to be so mad at me at the end of it. I can already so will Mama Gruskin. Yeah, I know. She's used to it. She knows what to expect from now. Anyways, <laughs> be very excited for that live show. If you want to find out any more information, again, go check out our website, crackrackets.com. But on that note, can we talk about the tennis? Because this round two was, was great. It it was awesome. I mean, okay, maybe not from a upset perspective in terms of a draw. Well, okay, the upset, <laughs> maybe the drama in terms of the tennis results themselves. 
you know, not that dramatic. There were some upsets, a lot of which we could see coming, but a lot of which, uh, you know, a lot of top seeds really took care of business, really protected uh, their place in the draw well. Except for Still, Jack if Sog. you want, <laughs> we'll get to that. I Sorry, promise. I have Still, to if you want there. the personal conflicts, uh, just people battling the elements, any of these things that make tennis so interesting to watch because it's just one player out there, particularly in singles, battling by themselves. You know, this was the round for you, and I think the match we have to start with, the thing everyone will remember back when they think 2018 U.S. Open, you know, what was the defining moment of round two? And by the way, if you have that specific of a thought, you will love our live show in Indy, so again, be sure to check that out. But still, you talk about (laughs) the biggest (laughs) controversy of the day. In number 30 seed, Nick Kyrgios' 4-6, 7-6, 6-3, 6-0 win over Pierre Hughes-Herbert, a guy who, again, affectionately, I was told, looks like me, which I feel very proud of. And also, you know, top doubles player. It's been Herbert and Mahout now. They were number one in the world, I believe, two years ago. They've been a constant presence, but still. This was one of the most interesting moments I've seen on a tennis court. In maybe the last five, I mean, since Murray won Wimbledon in England, that was the last time I really thought, oh my gosh, this is a moment. Because, okay, this this was a way more interesting moment than that. Just saying. That might be fair. But let let me just set the scene a little bit, and obviously I want you guys to chime in. And Stokoyak, don't fall asleep on us because we did a lot of plugging there, but I know you'll have your takes ready to go. Oh, Uh, yeah. In this match. I've already heard them. They're they're juicy, so let's, (laughs) let's get to that. So in this match, again, Kyrgios loses the first set 6-4, ends up going down 2-0 in the, you know, the the big moment happens at the 3-0 changeover, but he ends up going down 2-0, and for the first time I can ever remember, the crowd begins to actively boo Nick Kyrgios. They are chirping him. They are straight up, I hear someone in the crowd yell, at least show a positive attitude. I mean, it was the lowest of lows for Nick Kyrgios. I have never seen a crowd interact with a player that way. Rothman, have you? I, I mean, I actually feel like I have with him before. I mean, maybe not well, with him, this. right? With yes, him yes, before. with him specifically, but no him. one else. No, no, no. No one else gets the same because he now just has this stigma with him that he tanks, and it's true. He's admitted to it, so. Yes, I have seen it only with him, and unfortunately, it is kind of this thing that he's going to have to try and work off, or maybe he's just fine with that being the Nick Kyrgios thing, but it is exactly what I expected from the crowd when you see him tank the way he did. But I do have a lot of thoughts on this moment Moving forward. So then so then let's continue. So again, again, that's really setting the scene is by the 2-0 point in the second set, Kyrgios is down a set. His body language is atrocious. He's oh. not, you know, he's not bouncing at all in between air bear serves, which is a little thing, but still he's not moving he's at all slices. during points. In he's his just, first yeah. two in his first set and a half, he hits ten double faults in the match, hit twelve throughout the totality of the match. So again, so sloppy, just trying to slap first serves and slap the second ball. No care, you know, at all. Again, crowd members are chirping him, saying, at least show us a positive attitude. And so at that point, he goes down a break, 3-0 in the second. And we have chair umpire Mohamed Leani, who, if you have watched tennis at all over the past five years, you will recognize Mohamed. You know, Mo is a common chair umpire. He's a guy all of these players know. Everyone speaks very highly of. And at that point in the match, Mo comes down from the chair and 
this is where things get interesting. So the USTA issued a statement earlier, you know, talking about this incident because it blew up. I mean, the announcers, the commentators were talking about it right away. Uh, tennis Twitter, if you're at all involved in that community, everyone's talking about it. I thought Ben Rothenberg was going to jump through the screen and just start yelling at everyone. You know, we were going to see him on the U.S. Open live stream just streaking on courts trying to stop the madness. I mean, it was it was it was a moment, and you have Leonie. Come, he comes down and. You know, you can pick up a little bit what he says on camera, but you can't hear it exactly. But he, in essence, coaches Kyrgios. He gives him a pep talk. He says, look, Nick, you know, this is a huge stage. This is a huge moment. I have seen you play. I have seen you play, you know, both at your best and your worst. And I know you're better than this. I know this is not the effort you want to be putting on in front of the New York crowd, in front of the bright lights, the last Grand Slam of the year. I know you're better than this. And he spends the entirety of the changeover talking to Kyrgios, and so oh, truly an unprecedented moment. You know, coaching is prohibited during matches at the U.S. Open, but in this instance, and this is me quoting the New York uh, Times article, it's literally them saying, quote, coaching is prohibited during matches at the Open, except, apparently, when chair umpires are doing it. Matt, I want to go to you because you've been silent this whole time. Oh, One, do you think what what the chair umpire was doing was coaching like do you do you constitute the conversation given the tones given the body language even though you will never know the specifics of what was exactly said because uh Kyrgios denied it and the USTA again they said you know he was saying oh are you injured because if you're injured like that's the only reason you'd be giving an effort like this and in that case I have to get you a trainer which again does not look like what it's that's what he's saying yeah no I mean I here's the thing I like what you said about what Muhammad was saying to Nick. And I don't think he was really coaching him per se, you know, nothing tactically. He wasn't mentioned anything tactically like, Hey Nick, uh, you know, you know, you need to make a higher percentage of first serves. You need to step in on the baseline more, be more consistent. He wasn't saying anything like that. So it wasn't that kind of coaching. What he was doing was more just like encouragement. He was trying to encourage Nick to give the crowd a match that they had paid to see. And, you know, I totally understand it, but the bottom line is you can't do that. If you're Muhammad, it's just something that you can't do. And I love Muhammad. He is absolutely my favorite chair umpire. His eyes are perfect. He never misses a line call. He's always alert and aware of what's going on in the matches. The players love him. He's great. I mean, if I was on tour... I would want him to be in the chair for my matches, but the bottom line is he made a mistake here. And it's a mistake that he obviously didn't mean to make. He wasn't trying to do anything malicious. He wasn't trying to do anything like that, but the bottom line is he messed up and he can't he can't do that. And so now there's probably going to be some consequences for him. But again, I just want to make the point that while what he did was wrong, I don't think there were any bad intentions on Muhammad's part. And so we have to keep that in mind. And hopefully, you know, whatever penalties he has to uh, he has to deal with as consequences, I-, I hope they cut him a little bit of slack because he wasn't trying to do anything wrong. But the bottom line is, it's not okay. He can't do that because... Obviously, Herbert didn't receive any uh, any kind of pep talk or anything like that. He didn't have anybody, you know, to talk him up and get him pumped up for the match. So, again, bad choice from Muhammad at the time. 
but it wasn't like he was purposely trying to give anybody an advantage or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, well said. I, I agree with you. First of all, I want to preface this by saying I think this is the kind of thing that tennis people love to blow up. I think this has been overblown. I understand that it is a large event to happen. We've never seen anything like this. But similar to what you were saying, Matt, there I don't think there were any bad intentions with this. I think this was purely Mohammed being a good guy and saying, hey, I know you're better than this. I know I've seen you tank before because you've freaking admitted it. And just don't do it. The fans don't like it. I, I'm sure he didn't even want to see that. That's right. So, yeah, I, purely I think this was something that he was just trying to say, hey, look, I, I'm sure he probably even said, I will have to either code you or default you if you continue to do this. So it's in your best interest to not. Now, aside from that, I think there are a few things. One, he probably could have done this from his chair. I think going down and going up next to him makes it a whole lo- new level of interaction. I think it adds so a new I, level I, of... I don't mean to cut you off. I just want to say on that point specifically, I disagree with you very... But I just think it's a loud stadium. That's not the type of conversation you want to have as a chair umpire from up top on your perch while the player's down below. In but, any instance, but, what I'm say- but what I'm saying is if you do it from up there and you make a few comments, there's been plenty of conversations between player and umpire... From the chair, he by going down there and standing next to him and having this conversation, he added a new level of severity to it, a new level of almost kind of, what's the word, secrecy, essentially. I mean, when you get that close, it's harder to hear. Like we said, we don't know exactly the extent to which the conversation went, and so it, it makes it a bigger deal than it, than it needed to be because, again, I don't think this should be as big a deal as it is. Did it potentially change the course of the match yes I, I think the extent to their conversation probably gave Kyrgios a new sense of urgency desire to put some energy into it whatever you want to call it so in that regard yes it made a difference I don't think this needs to be a huge deal I hope he doesn't get fine Mohammed's a fantastic chair umpire and ultimately would the match have been different? Maybe, but who's who can say? Yeah, I mean, and here's here's again what I think. And and Gruskin, like you mentioned, I, and like also like Rothman mentioned, I think if Muhammad would have stayed in the chair and just had you know spoken a few words to Nick on the changeover, because we see umpires do that all the time, right? They speak to a player about something. Maybe it's you know, regarding the time that they take in between serves and all that. And they'll say, hey, you know, you're getting a little, uh, you're about to get a warning, blah, blah, blah. That happens all the time between players and the chair umpires. So I do think if Muhammad would have stayed in the chair, that this maybe would not have blown up to the proportion that it has. But overall, I agree with Max. It, it, it blew out of proportion. It's not as big of a deal, but you know, again, it was something that you can't do. If you're Muhammad, you can't do it. And it is ironic that as soon as that happened, the course of the match did change. I mean, Nick started to play the way that, you know, we want to see Nick play and that's play fantastic. I mean, he's one of the most talented players in the world. So I don't think there's any way that we could say, this conversation that they had didn't have an effect on the outcome of the match because 
I mean, when you look at the scores and you look at the course of the matches, how it played out, it it did have an effect on it. You know, I, I completely agree with you. I think that's the biggest point if you're looking for why, you know, Mohammed needs to be punished. It's this idea that, you know, 4 6 Three, you know, he's down four six zero oh, three, and then he comes back seven six six three six zero. Oh. As I mentioned earlier, twelve double faults on the match for Kyrgios in total. You know, uh, ten of those in the first set and a half. He ends up with a fifty seven percent first serve percentage, but still, you know, thirty nine percent in that first set, and then goes sixty seventy one sixty two. Yes, that that his level significantly improved, and you could tell from his body language. You know, he instead of slapping returns, he made the return waited for an easier ball from Airbear because Kyrgios was clearly, uh, you know, he was clearly the superior talent, clearly the superior player in this instance. You know, if anything, what this what this instance shows me, you know, regardless of whether what was what happened was right or wrong, how the fuck do we not have coaching available yet at the ATP Tour? Did you see the change in Kyrgios's level? If we allow these coaches, like they do in every other f***ing sport, to come onto the court and just say, hey man, you know, what's going on? Like, you're down 6-4-3-0 to a guy who couldn't tie your shoes on a tennis court. Like, what is happening here? Even at the most basic level, you know, it's not like he was up there and, you know, friend of the podcast, Jonathan Kelly, joked on Twitter. It's not like he went up to Kyrgios and said, hey, man, step in on the backhands. You know, you got to take the ball a little bit earlier and just really key on that air bear forehand during the rally. That is not what happened. And so, but Alex, isn't that what part of what th- makes tennis tennis? Like, I... I, I that. What do you mean, fuck that? I, I think half the reason that, first of all, singles is so different from doubles is that you are out there on your own. It's you, the court, the net, the ball, and your opponent. That is the beauty of tennis. And and I, Agassi, I'm going to bring out another quote. He said, tennis is the loneliest sport in, or I'm going to botch this, but it's something about tennis is where I am the loneliest when I'm on the court. And it's true. You are alone out there. And that is part of what, makes the game so much so much more complex. I think if you add a coach, you take out a lot of the complexity of the game of having to fight that mental battle in your head. And when you've got another head on your side saying, hey, calm down, totally changes the game, as we saw. Well, well, I, while you're while you're absolutely right, you, you know, there's nothing I, I you know nothing factually inaccurate about your argument. My counterpoint would be, I want to see these guys play their absolute best tennis, and it's abundantly clear to me that the best tennis would come from some form of coaching. Now, I'm not saying these coaches can come out every changeover. This isn't college tennis. We're not having these guys, you know, coaching point by point by point. But after the end of the set. You know, if it's a three out of five set match, these guys get two coaching breaks. If it's two out of three, they get one. They should have the right to call their coach and just be like, hey, you know, what am I, let's talk about this. Let's calm it down because I think the level of the game improves from all of these players if we allow that to happen. I don't know about that, guys. I'm with Max on this one. I think it's what makes tennis unique. Um, I I don't like the coaching at all. They have it now on the WTA. And I just, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. The best players in the world are problem solvers. They're out there alone and they figure out what they need to do in order to win. I like that element of the sport. I just think for every Nick Kyrgios, I mean, how many guys, Alex, are really like Kyrgios to where you're going to have to get them fully engaged in the match? I mean, most players that we have on tour are not like Nick Kyrgios, right? So maybe for him, it might improve his level of play. But, I mean, in almost every other match, 
we don't we don't ever have the issue of guys tanking and things like that. Everybody's giving their best effort almost all the time. Uh, I I guess where I disagree is everyone needs a coach. It wouldn't hurt anyone. And if we're it, we're not instituting rules to not hurt people, we're instituting rules to help these players. And you institute this rule, it helps everyone. It's not as though yes, Kyrgios happens to be a bigger beneficiary, but everyone becomes a beneficiary because at some point in a match, everyone could use coaching. Even Roger Federer could use coaching. And so to me, there's just no downside. Why wouldn't you do it? Other than this appeal, which you guys are talking about. I don't know. You know, I don't mean to cut you off, Matt, and argue in circles because we've talked about this match long enough. And it's not even that this match was high-quality tennis. Again, Kira's, you know, the longest point in this match was maybe 10 shots. But neither of these guys had over 30 feet in terms of distance per point. So in, in terms of the quality of tennis, not that great. But I don't know. It's a microcosm of a lot of things that are wrong in our sport right now. And a lot of things that we could do better, I think, is reflected from this incident. I don't know. Matt, take the final word. Yeah, I I don't know. Again, I mean, final word is Kyrgios, I think, is more so the problem than anybody else. When it comes to the coaching, I personally like to see the players problem solve and have to figure out what they need to adjust in the middle of a match to turn it around and win it. Kyrgios, he's a unique guy, man. And, you know... We're really just going to have to deal with him the way he is. But again, in this match, the Muhammad thing is really the storyline that that takes over. And it was unfortunate. But I do want to say, on record, Muhammad is great. I, I really like the guy. I think he's a fantastic chair umpire. And again, what he did was wrong. Yes, he should not have done that. But no bad intentions on his part. Yeah, com- completely agree with you. If he wants to come on the Great Shot podcast, explain what happened, give his perspective. We would love to have him. And so, you know, Mohammed, that option is open for you. But all right, on that note, again, you know, four six seven six six three six zero for Kyrgios, 36 winners to 44 unforced errors. Actually not bad for him. Uh, wins 81% of his first serve points, 56% of the second serve, 14 aces against 12 double faults. Nothing too special. He was just a cut above in this one and then again average first serve speed Kyrgios is the first guy I've seen all tournament 120 on the first 104 on the second topped out at 137 I mean the guy's serve is elite and if you don't know that at that you know that's why he's so polarizing is because he really could compete in every match but all right with that let's talk about two other young guys who you know make us much more optimistic about the future of tennis you don't have to worry about on-court coaching with them because both of these guys clearly have it, whatever it is, that intangible quality that allows people to be successful tennis players. We're talking, of course, about the young Russian, Daniil Medvedev, your Winston-Salem champion. And by the way, Rothman, I don't know if you know this, but Stokowiak actually went to Winston-Salem to go watch it. You went to Winston-Salem? I I might have. I might have. We can stop that. We can stop it. Well, on that note, again, Medvedev in this match takes out a Max Rothman favorite, Stefanos Tsitsipas. The 15 seeds, 6-4, I'm sorry, Rothman, but I'm going to give Stokowiak the first serve on this one. Was this an instance of Medvedev playing well, Tsitsipas playing poorly? And I hate to frame it like that, but, you know, in general, what happened in this one, Matt? Yeah, I watched this entire match, and it was it was a fascinating match. It was more so of the case of Medvedev playing extremely well than you know, Tsitsipas playing poorly, 
but Medvedev had a lot to do with that. He forced Stefanos into playing poorly. And what I mean by that is the first couple sets, Medvedev wins 6-4, 6-3, and he hardly had any unforced errors. I mean, I don't know what the exact count was in the first two sets, but it had to be less than 10 unforced errors in the first two sets combined. Medvedev only had 26 for the entire match compared to Stefanos 64. So that's a huge difference. But just Daniil Medvedev's consistency and the way that he makes you play point after point after point. He keeps the ball low. He hits that flat ball. I know we've talked about it, Gruskin, a lot on here. But he can really frustrate players. And I've been watching him a lot lately now, and this guy really has that ability to move for a guy who's six foot six. He moves extraordinarily well. And when you only make 26 unforced errors in a four set match, I mean, you're probably going to win. The guy doesn't make errors. And I thought Stefanos in the first set was coming to the net a fair, a fair amount. But when you look at the stats, he was 19 of 27 on net points. 27 net points for me is not enough for Stefanos, especially against a guy like Medvedev. I think Tsitsipas needed to come in more and put more pressure on Medvedev because Medvedev was just sitting back there and he was comfortable and he forced Stefanos into being extremely uncomfortable. It was a fantastic match. Medvedev, man, this guy, he is He's on the rise. He's coming. I, I mean, I figured, I picked him to win this match. He's my dark horse in the tournament. Big fan of his. But I didn't really see it going like this. He was up 4-2 in the third set as well. Medvedev should have won this match in straight sets. He fell apart a little bit in the third and then regrouped in the fourth. This guy's for real. This match reminds me so much of when Rothman and I play in that Sure, you know, I'll have 22 winners to his 27, but he's also going to have 64 unforced errors to my 26. And really, when we were talking about this in our group chat... That's hilarious, considering our last (laughs) match, but I'll I'll, I'll let you think that. Literally, you have never made three backhands in a row, ever. And I I, I I ruined your backhand in in our match. Literally, you have never made a backhand in your life. Your backhand's terrible. You have a nice serve. I've always said that. You do have Wait, a nice serve. Did I That's play why you always side when we played dubs. Oh, it's right yeah, because my backhand returns oh, better oh, than Oh, you. you mean you literally could not make an inside out backhand return on the deuce side? You've never made an inside that's backhand. Not why I had to I win. Played, that's not why you mean, I played the you mean, outside. Yes, that's absolutely why you played because you could not oh, make inside God. backhand returns all right, and because all right. we wanted your forehand for poaching. Hey, Gruskin, yeah, what do you okay. think about Medvedev? I'm just saying All right. Rothman what I think about Medvedev is that his backhand is way better than Gruskin's <laughs> ever will be. Um, I agree. Go the, on. The tr- the thing about Medvedev that's that's super interesting is how far back he plays. Um if you if you watched the match on ESPN Plus, you on- honestly couldn't even see him sometimes cuz he was returning so far behind the baseline. Um it was unbelievable. I just want to harp on that point. He literally his goal was I just want to get to the point to neutral. You know, if I can get the point to neutral, take this rally beyond, you know, six balls, I'm going to get in Stefano's head. And, like, do you agree with that, Rothman? It was more about counterpunching than him being the aggressor from the baseline? Well, I mean, it was clear it was about counterpunching. I felt like I could count to three before the serve even got to him. (laughs) It was ridiculous. Um, But also another, another little inside tennis gossip that, you know, people love to talk about was uh the Medvedev Tsitsipas kind of I guess you can call it a feud at Cincinnati 
where after the match, Miami, kind of, Miami, <clears throat> Miami, excuse me, feud at Miami where they kind of got into it with each other, and the the chair umpire actually had to step down and kind of make sure that they they didn't you know throw some punches. Although I, I doubt that would ever happen on. on That's the how I felt during that inside backhand debate right there. But go on. <laughs> oh, pun- punches were being thrown through the screen for sure. <laughs> Um, you were throwing your peas and I was throwing my cookies. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, apparently, you know, Tsitsipas said some things to his mom in Russian and, and Medvedev overheard it and got in his face. And I think there was a little bit of uh, revenge action from Medvedev in this match. I think he wanted this one. I, wanted, I think he wanted to shove it in Tsitsipas' face. Well, I think mental aspects aside, you know, the big thing we mentioned already, Medvedev made this a physical match. The highest total I have seen by far of any match is their distance per point in this one. Medvedev, 53.8 feet per point. Tsitsipas, 50.4. I mean, they are going side to side at least, you know, four times per point. And this was an incredibly physical match. You like to use the term Rothman Jr. Tennis. Medvedev almost baited Tsitsipas into playing junior tennis. This idea of, you know, I'm just not going to miss. The only time I'm coming to the net is to shake hands at the beginning and end of the match. And it's reflecting, you know, Medvedev 6 of 14 at the net to Tsitsipas' 19 of 27. You know, Medvedev did want to hang back. Uh, The big thing that also sticks out, Tsitsipas did not serve well at all. And he needs to serve well to, you know, kind of assert his will during the match. Only makes 49% of his first serve points. Wins 73% of the first serve points, 40 of 55. But on the second serve, 27 of 57, 47%. You know, Medvedev in this match, 6 of 12 on break points versus Tsitsipas' 3 of 8. Medvedev was the better player. And, you know, this. I don't think this speaks to their upside. Well, I, I guess we can talk about that. You know, this result aside, you know, first Rothman and then Stokowiak, Tsitsipas is still the guy, right? He's still got the higher upside compared to Medvedev could be like a, I always say this, a Jill Simone, a top 20 threat, you know, a guy who's going to stick around. Tsitsipas could be, you know, top number one, the guy. Wow, number one. You're giving him that? He's got the weapons. When he plays his best tennis, I'm not saying he will be number one. I'm saying he can compete with anyone. You know, when Medvedev, if Medvedev and Tsitsipas are both playing their best, I still give the edge to Tsitsipas. Yeah, I mean, I think you give Tsitsipas, you know, more confidence at the net, and he's, I think you can give him that number one slot. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you said it. Tsitsipas has more upside. His backhand has proven to be able to hold up on the tour. His forehand is great. He moves really well for his size, as we've said. And yeah, I, I think he totally has the potential to be that that top five, top three. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I I really don't want to discount Medvedev, though, like a Gilles Simone type player. I mean, I think Medvedev has major potential. Gilles Simone, I, can we can we just say Gilles Simone was really f-ing good? Like, I wouldn't use that yeah that he is approximation. Really he, he like, is. That's what I'm saying. The guy was top twenty for ten years. I think Medvedev has top ten potential. I do. He's like. I'm trying to think who used to always hover around the top 10 but would never make that breakthrough quite above it. It's like early year. It's like Songa's career-wise where it's like he's always hovering but he's never going to break quite through. I just don't think Medvedev has the high enough upside to where he's going to win a Cincinnati or a Rogers Cup ever. He can always be a threat, but I don't think he ever wins it. Yeah, you get someone who's who's more comfortable just 
ripping the ball, coming in, being aggressive, and where's the weapon? You're like, yeah. where's the weapon for me? No, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you guys. I think his serve, I think he's he's a big dude. I think he could develop Agreed. a serve Agreed. into a weapon um, even more so than he has now. But one other thing that I just want to touch on about this particular match in the last, uh, well, eight matches that Medvedev has played, he's on an eight-match winning streak right now. Sometimes he uh, he has he can be a little bit of a hothead, Daniil Medvedev, and we haven't seen that over the last week at all. He has kept his cool. His mental game has been extremely sharp, and I think that's actually helped him out, given him the confidence that he can win these matches, and he is now on an eight-match winning streak, and we'll see if he can go for more. But I just wanted to throw that in there because I've seen Daniil Medvedev blow up a little bit, chuck some rackets, chirp at his box. We haven't seen any of that over the course of the last eight matches, so that's worth mentioning to me. Look, a confident Medvedev is certainly a threat, just given how slow these courts are playing. Uh, it's going to be a tough out. you know, To outlast him three out of five sets will certainly be no easy task, and I'm really looking forward to to his next round match with Borna Cioric, a match we can talk about later on in our changeover chat. But okay, let's talk about our next match. This was Rothman's upset special, and, you know, this was the one that probably got the most upset reaction from him in terms of a result. Of course, I'm talking Dominic Team, the number nine seeds, 6'7", 6'3", 5'7", 6'4", 6'1", win over American Stevie Johnson. Rothman... How close was Stevie to winning this match? I mean, uh, I want. I mean, obviously he was close. He won five sets. Um, I thought after that fourth set that there was a. Ch- it looked like it was going the right way. Like he lost that fourth set. It was close. I didn't think it was going to go as poorly in the fifth. Um, the thing to me, and I mean, I've watched a million of Stevie's matches, but. More than ever in this match, I realized how crazy it is that he's ranked as high as he is and that he does as well as he does with as little of a backhand as he has. (laughs) I kept waiting for the punchline of that joke to come. Like, I obviously we've talked about it and everyone talks about it, how he slices everything, whatever, but he was... I think with a guy like TM who has such a crazy good one-handed backhand... And moves really well. Watching Stevie hit slice after slice and trying to run around it and hit forehands with a guy like TM was just mind-boggling. I mean, there were so many times where TM would run him off to the right, hit to his forehand and give him some, you know, pull him off the court a little bit, go back to the backhand, do the same thing. I mean, I feel like this is the perfect example of why he will never break the top 20 I think he should switch to a one-handed backhand. What do you guys think? <laughs> Exclusively, well, so a couple things. He was I hitting say. some one-handed backhands. He, if you want to watch, if you want to watch a five-set match <clears throat> in five minutes, this is the match for you because you watch five minutes of this match, you will see, you'll know what you're the getting whole the rest yep. of the time. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's big Stevie first serves, big Stevie forehands, and a lot of slices and long yeah. points to the to the Stevie backhand where he's slicing. Until TM either won or he messed up. Well, Stevie in this match, you know, again, so often on the serve, looks for the serve plus one forehand. At one point, team hit like this really weak slice that, you know, got into the ad side service box. 
I mean, Stevie runs all the way around it. Like, he's literally swinging at his because, like, he has to get around the ball so far. And he hits the most unbelievable inside-out forehand short-angle approach I've ever seen. Like, Stevie's forehand is elite. Now, that being said, you know, you talked about these things. First serve percentage. I think you have to say it is one of the best on tour considering how little of a backhand he has. Like, you actually just can't be that good unless your forehand is top five. His wrist action is incredible. He has one of the most live wrists on tour, and just the the spin he's able to produce, whether it's a kick serve out wide, whether it's, again, snapping off a forehand unlike any other player on tour. And yeah, in this match, again, serves 61% of his first serves in, wins 78% of those first serve points, average first serve speed, 116, and he topped out at 131 in this match. I mean, he, he goes 21 of 30 at the net, 70%. You know, he covers 10,118.1 feet in this match. He goes 34.4 feet per point. You know, that's a little bit more than team. He was hustling. He was doing everything he could. But in the end, you know, it doesn't matter because team had he had a strategy. I'm serving to the Johnson backhand. You know, I'm going to move forward off of that ball because Johnson will leave one short, and I have to be comfortable coming to the net and hitting volleys. And in this instance, he actually was. You know, Stokowiak, clickety-clack here, but I know you just wrote an article on CrackedRackets.com, which, by the way, everyone should go check out, talking about Steve Johnson rolling an ankle in this match and the effect it had. Uh, Can you talk about that as well? Because, you know, Stevie did go up two sets to one, and you have to wonder— the injury on top of the heat, you know, how much did he have left in the tank? Yeah, exactly. And that's the point that I was going to bring up here, guys. Um, Stevie actually rolled his ankle near the end of the second set. Near the end of the second set is when that ankle roll happened. And he actually came back and won the third set on that bum ankle. It was amazing. I couldn't believe that he actually did that. He got it taped up, took the med time out, came back on the court and actually played well in that third set and I thought man he's just gutting it out right now it was very impressive but ultimately over the course of those five sets his movement was definitely compromised and you know I don't want to say that it it cost him the match because even with a healthy ankle we don't know what would have happened but I definitely feel like his movement was compromised and uh, I don't know. I mean, Stevie played well. I want to give him a lot of credit because he battled back after an injury. He didn't retire. And, you know, again, guys, having a serve and a forehand can, can, you can get pretty far in the rankings with just a huge serve and a big forehand. And that's what Stevie's done. Uh, You mentioned top 20 for him, Rothman. I don't know what Stevie's career high is, but it might be top 20 or right around there. I don't know. But anyways, um, great match. I mean, team, I think this was an opportunity for Stevie to really, you know, to make the third round of the U.S. Open. Team is definitely a clay quarter. He struggles on the hard court, struggles on the grass. He has a great game, but I picked Stevie in this one. I did. I I thought he was going to win this match. He was close, but come that fifth set, this set was really poor. I mean, he was out of it at that point, and, you know, I think the ankle was, it was bothering him more than maybe he even let on. I mean, look, I, I would love to put the hypothetical where you give Stevie a great backhand and just 
I honestly think he could he could be top three in the world with a good backhand. He is so real quick. Steve Johnson career high number twenty one, not yep. quite top twenty, he, but right he on the break fringe. He, yeah, he's I, not going to break. Yep, yeah. completely agree. And look, I mean, he's got the same coach as Query, and Query has figured out a backhand that honestly looks a little similar. Now, I'm not saying Query is a good backhand. I see the face on you, Guskin. It's not a good backhand. I'm just saying. No, it I looks, feel. I know. I, I get what you're saying. It it works. It, it works. works, and it looks similar to Stevie, and as far as technique goes, and and I think either Stevie needs to re re go back and figure out his two handed backhand, or Hold do on. the re go back, re go back, hey, redo, re figure out whatever. <laughs> you need to, to re go back that sentence. He needs to re go figure back. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I think he should switch to the one-hander. I saw him hit a couple in this match. It may as well do something. He's already hitting primarily slices anyways, so I really think he should do something and try and switch it up, go to the one-hander. Well, you can move on, but I think based off of Stokowiak's face and what I'm thinking as well, one-hander might be a little too far. Maybe just abandon it and go with the lefty forehand at this I mean, point. Look, we can have this debate another time, but yeah. clearly clearly something's got to change. But When look, it's December, last week December, we'll just do a Steve Johnson back. How old box. is he, though, Rothman? Perfect. I mean, at this point, can he really change it now? I mean, how old is he? Steve, he's 20, Stevie right, I mean, Stevie 20, right now, 28.6. Yeah, he's 28. Dude, yeah, you so can't well. be 28 years old and change your – I mean, you just can't. I mean, but look – but look, he hits all slices anyways. Well, then, it's not like he, no, I know, he, he but, wouldn't really have to change it. He could just throw in a few more each match. But whatever. Again, we can debate this another time. Let's talk about my favorite match of the second round, which is the Alex Dimenauer, Francis Tiafo, 6-4-6-0-5-7-6-2 win for Dimenauer. This was an awesome match. I watched the entire thing. And... I've got to say, super impressive Dimenauer. I think there are times where I see him just kind of as a grinder and not having many weapons. And today was the first match where I really think that I could see him moving up the rankings and beating top guys. The way he pushed Tiafo around with his forehand, he doesn't hit a lot of spin, but he doesn't need to because he hits through the ball and through the court so well. Even on the slow U.S. Open courts, he was really pushing Tiafo back and and it's not even like Tiafo played a bad match. So I guess the question is what does excuse me what was it that allowed Dimenauer to win this and is this the kind of style he's gonna have to play to keep moving forward? Or is he gonna have to add a weapon to make a huge jump? Are you talking to me? Usually when I host or I ask someone specifically the question. I mean, usually you don't. You actually pose a lot of questions open for, for debate. But because you're being an asshole, Stokowiak, why don't you answer the question? Um, no, I think, look, Demonor is not the biggest guy. I mean, his, his game is built off of his counterpunching skills, his speed around the court, his movement. That's never going to change. Can he develop some weapons? I don't know. I mean, not huge weapons. I mean, he's never going to have the massive serve, the massive forehand, but I think what he can do is play a little bit more like he did tonight against Francis, which is be patiently aggressive, 
don't make a ton of errors, but you're still able to kind of redirect the ball around the court and make your opponent do more of the moving. And, you know, Demonor has a lot of upside. I've been high on this guy for a long time. It's just he hasn't been playing that well as of late. And I thought Francis was going to take this match. But, I mean, when you only make a few unforced errors and, and the way that Demonor played, hey, all credit to him. I like the guy a lot, and he deserved this win, for sure. Take nothing away from him. For Francis, it's a little bit disappointing. I would have loved to have seen him move on. But Demonor can play this way, and he's already top 50 in the world, so he's rising. Yeah, Sokovia, I love that take. And, and Alex, if you're ready to, to be a, a nice human being and not a total douche, I'd love to hear your take as well. I'm not ready to do that. I do want to frame this argument uh, a, a, I want to, you know, a little bit bigger. Uh, I want to talk about Diminuer, Tiafo, and Shapovalov, the other guy we were going to talk about in our last breakdown. Shapovalov, the 28th seed, a 6-4, a 6-4 winner. And I think I want to talk about these three guys because we have seen them all face some sort of adversity during this tournament, right? For Shapovalov, plays his best friend first round, a guy who everyone's saying back in the day, you know, he was the actual prodigy and Shapovalov was just going to be really f***ing good. Um, And then you have Tiafo finally breaks through at his home Grand Slam, gets a win over a seeded player. Now he's the older player in a matchup, faces the expectations, the pressure, similarly to the way that Shapovalov did against FAA. And then you have Diminuer, the young gun, the guy who clearly is playing with not a single care in the world, a guy who, as Rothen mentioned, tracked down everything. It seems, you know, Leighton Hewitt is his coach, and I think that's reflected in his attitude on the court. The guy did not quit on a single ball. You know, he has the highest single total of total distance covered in the first two rounds, 12,455.7 feet, at least of the matches we've broken down, you know, 56.9 feet per point. As much as Tiafo tried, he just there was he, it was so hard to put Dimenauer away. You compare these three guys, Rothman, then Stokowiak. You know who has impressed you? Obviously, Tiafo is eliminated, but just because he's eliminated, you shouldn't take away how well he played against Manorino, and you haven't gotten a chance to talk about that, Rothman. You know, of these three guys, whose whose performance has impressed you the most? Well, I love how you tried to take the hosting spot back there and, and not fully answering my question. I'm going to go ahead and say you also are forgetting people, so um, I'm going to take your well, question back and say Medvedev and Tsitsipas need to be included in that conversation, honestly, as well as Chorich. I, it, it's funny because Stakoviak and I had Well, if you're going to conversa- include them, then include Zverev and Chung as well. Might as well now, throw in I, the whole group. I, I think they're in a different category. I really do. Even though they're part of the young group, they've each had – different types of success thus far. So real quick, this dates back to our tier argument, and I'm so sorry, Stokowiak, because Roth and I are just venting a lot of grievances on this pod. Uh, (laughs) You know, a guy, another guy you didn't mention, Fritz, in that group, but it it comes back to the tiers. It's just fascinating to me you put Chorich in the tier with these guys as as opposed to putting, you know, we saw him make finals of Indian Wells or semifinals, whatever, against Roger, and you're not putting Chorich in in the Chung uh, George is about to enter the Chung's okay. portion. Okay. It's just, sure. you got to give it to those two for having made semifinals of Grand Slams. That That is, I mean... Well, I mean, Zverev hasn't Zverev, done that, but right, he's won Zverev multiple... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. He's won so, the Masters events. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, he's about to break that barrier. Um, 
Well, yeah. Real quick, real quick before you get to, the, I'm so sorry. Ke- last guy I'll throw in, Kyrgios. Is he in the upper group or the lower? Of course. Come on. Do you have to ask I mean, that but, question? But it's always the sticking point because I feel like Matt will have a different take when if he have ever gets to speak again in this podcast. But go on, answer the question, Rothman. I mean, here, look. I'll, I'll just I'm gonna break down the tier in my mind, and then I'm gonna let Matt speak. It's got to be the Kyrgios, Zverev. They're, actually, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say Kyrgios and Zverev are at the very top. Then you've got the Chung Chorich level where it's this like, you know, they've had some success, but they're not there yet. And then you've got the rest. And We're back in sync. We're back. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to, hey, great shot. Stokowiak on that note, take over. Yeah, no, I'm on page with you guys there. I, I agree, Rothman, but... Gruskin, what's your question to me? Who am I? Who are we talking about here now? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, man, who cares? Just talk. Okay, let's go back to the original framework. Diminuer, Uh, Tiafo, (laughs) Shapovalov. Through two rounds, who are you most impressed with? Through two rounds, I have to say that I'm most impressed with Diminuer. And that's because. Are we going to call him the demon? Just the the Australian demon? I already call him demon. I already do. Uh, yeah, no, that's where that's where I got the inspiration from. You and Brad Gilbert have been spending too much time together. Yeah, maybe just a by the way, bit. Brad Gilbert wearing a, wearing a great hat today, a nice fedora. Anyways, keep going. <laughs> BG's the man. Shout out to BG. Um, no, I'd have to say Alex Dimonor. Just the way that he's advanced in these first two rounds. I mean, he's played some flawless tennis. It's crazy. Obviously, I'm I'm impressed with what Shapovalov has done. You know, but FAA had to retire in that match, so we don't really know how that would have ended had they continued. And Seppi winning in five, I saw some up, ups and downs in that match with, with Shapovalov, but man, Demonor coming off a poor showing in Winston-Salem, I hate to bring it up again, but Medvedev took him to the cleaners, and I mean, Medvedev's been doing that to everybody, so I guess that's really not that big of a deal. But the way that he's bounced back in New York, these first couple rounds— destroyed Taro Daniel and now you know against Francis winning I want to say comfortably in four sets I mean it did go four but it was still a pretty comfortable win for for Alex 6-2 in the fourth so I've got to give the nod to him right now well so a couple of stats I want to point to from these matches you know second serve speed averages for Shapovalov 96 miles per hour for Dima Neuer 91 for Tiafo 82 in this tournament thus far, you know, what separate them in it, you know, in this match, Tiafo, nine double faults. He just did not have the confidence in his second serve. And, you know, Diminuer or Dima holds Tiafo to only a twenty nine percent win percentage on his second serve points. Tiafo goes twelve of forty two on the match. Uh you know, that is concerning. You look at some of the other things in terms of the winner unforced error ratio between these three guys. Diminuer thirty-eight to thirty-three. Tiafo thirty-seven to fifty-one. Shapovalov fifty-five to seventy-six. Uh you're taking no- things away from that. At this point, Dimenauer, as Max mentioned, the most solid. Just incredibly incredible going side to side. He was so willing to go cross court with Francis until there was a ball more towards the middle or a little bit shorter, and then immediately taking that ball early on the rise. He loved to attack the Francis forehand, particularly jam it with pace, served into the body, tried to get Francis chopping back the forehand slice as a return. You know, to me... Diminuer was the more solid of the two, and that's concerning if you're Francis Tiafo after playing such a solid match against uh, 
Manorino in the first round to just be grinded down the way he was. And then from the Shapovalov element, I mean, neither of those guys. Francis Tiafo may be a better athlete, but the ground strokes you know, of these young guys, no one is more explosive than Denis Shapovalov from the ground. I mean, again, the guy hits backhands, Rothman, that are just, they're unbelievable. They are. I, I love watching him. Especially, not only can he blast it, he, he has that finesse that Fed has where he can do that slow roller, and you know that's my favorite one to go for. It's, it's unbelievable. And again, some of the stats from this match, yes, Shabavalov has 76 errors against Seppi, but Seppi couldn't really hurt him. So a lot of the time, it, the ball was in Shabavalov's hands to be the aggressor. You know, he wins 77% of his first serve points, 53% of his second serve points, 18 aces in this match, also 12 double faults, not something you want to see. Um, but still, Shapovalov, 117 first serve average in this, 21 of 28 of the front, at the net. It's funny in this match, 5 of 18 on break points compared to 5 of 20 from Seppi. But, I mean, he covers over 1,000 more feet. Uh, I mean, they, all three of these young guys look really good. And, again, if you're talking, you're watching this and you're thinking about the future of the game, the future is really bright. Uh, Stokowiak, again, Alex Dimenewer in this next round, he matches up with Marin Cilic. By comparison, you look at Shapovalov as part of the draw. He's matching up with Kevin Anderson. Of those two young guys, who do you is more likely to win that third-round match? Denis Shapovalov, for sure. I think Kevin Anderson might be a little bit vulnerable. Uh, he's had a couple tough matches. He went five with Ryan Harrison in that first round. We talked about that match how much of a grind that was. And then he beat Jeremy Shardy in the second round. It was a little bit easier for Kevin, but I think Dennis definitely has a good chance to actually win that match and pull off the upset. Uh, for Demonor, on the other hand, against Chilich, I don't like the matchup. I think Chilich is going to go through him. I mean, Demonor can, can defend well. We know that. We've just talked about that. But I have Chilich in the semifinals of this tournament, so he's you know he's one of my favorites, not the favorite, but I think Chilich has the ability to go extremely deep. Tough matchup for Alex Dimonor. My problem is, you know, you look at that matchup. Anderson's just gonna fire serves at the Shapovalov backhand, and that really is something. That's something Seppi did. It's something Felix did. You know, guys with one-handed backhands, they're always going to be attacked on that side. And so you worry with the guys and with like Anderson, as skilled as he is, you know, that's going to be a tough matchup. But certainly fun ones to watch moving forward. With that, let's talk about some of the other notable results on the round. You've got Rafa Nadal taking out Pospisil in straight sets. Federer taking out Pear in straight sets. Del Potro really working Kudla for the first two sets. Kudla then fights back in set three for seven, six set, but still Del Potro just looks so good. I thought Kudla uh, you, was going to take that third. So did Ty. And so, yeah. again, another reason, an excuse to skip part two of our preview pod. Uh, but, yeah, you look at it, you know, number four seeds, Virov in straights over Mahout. Five seed, Anderson, straights over my guy, Shardy. Djokovic in the late night takes out Tennis Angren, 6-1, 6-3, 6-7, 6-2. You know, that's the second set loss for Djokovic, but still, you know, you're up two sets to love. It's a tiebreaker. You start screwing around. Everyone does it. Um, Marin Cilic takes out Herkic. I still don't get that right, but 2-0-0. That is a f***ing ass-whooping. Rothman, would you be willing to go out there and lose 2-0-0? I mean, if it's in the second round and I'm making forty grand, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm in. I agree. Good argument. Uh, David Goffin 
revenge uh, uh, revenges he avenges Mackie McDonald takes out Robin Hassa 6267 number 11 seed John Isner a guy I had on upset alert and was scoffed at by both Jamie and Fliegner in our forever lost day two podcast takes out Nicholas Jerry 67643676664 you know for the big man to go five sets early it's gonna wear on him right Stokowiak uh, I think so. I think it might, but I was just super impressed with John's ability to come back in this match. I mean, after that third set, I didn't see a way back for him. With the way that Nicholas Jerry was playing, I, I thought it was over. And and John came back. He was pumped up after that. I, I don't know. If he, if he has the ability to recover and he feels somewhat good, I love his third-round matchup. He plays Dusan Lojevic in the third round. So I think even if he's the deuce, the deuce, even if he's a little bit fatigued, I like Isner's chances just with his serve alone to get through that match. So John, that, that was a confidence booster to come back like that. He also moved great in that match. I, I, I wanted to ask you so badly, Rothman. You said the break game in the fifth set. He oh, hit a lob sick. or something. Yeah, it, it, he, he was at a four all in the fifth. And just played a great game. He moved well. He got to some balls that I didn't know a guy who was 6'10 could get to. And then on break point, had a really tough point. Um, Jerry moves into the net. And Isner just hits this flick back lob. It drops and looks right over his bench. Gives a huge fist pump. Starts getting the crowd up on their feet. He's doing the, you know, the hands up to everyone. It was sick. Yep. He's kind of a loser, but it was sick. I remember that uh, point, though. I, and and Gim- I also got to say, Gimmelstab, yep. we're about to say it together. Gimmelstab is the perfect coach for Isner because, like you mentioned, it. Rothman, Gimmelstab's also kind of a fucking loser, but they both go nuts, and <laughs> yeah. it's awesome. See, yeah, yeah, I, I love Gimmelstab. I think he's hilarious. He's like BG to me. Like, they're just funny, man. <laughs> oh, no. BG's a special kind of. This is true. Nobody's like BG. I mean, BG is one of a kind, but Gimmel is, he's funny, man, and he just gets so jacked up. Like, I think it helps John a lot. Hey, Gimmelstab actually uh, plays paddle tennis at uh, the the club that I go to, and so I've seen him even get worked up in paddle tennis. That's (laughs) awesome. That's awesome. And I'll say one more thing about this match. Jerry, a guy we probably should have included in our diminuer, Tiafo scramble. Uh, Really good young guy. Big serve, big forehand. Going to keep him in a lot of matches. Someone compared him to Del Potro. That's a little far for me. But he still is pretty pretty good. Uh, another upset, Sosa takes out Carreno Busta, the 12 seed, 4663, 5762, 2 0 retirement. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Stokowiak saw Carreno Busta at Winston Salem, and I also saw those highlights, and he didn't look that good then. Not surprising that, he, oh, Stokowiak's giving me a little gunshot in the blue jeans. I love it. Uh, our fellow Vildechai, Diego Schwartzman, takes out the young Spanish player, Jaume Munar, 6260, Millman takes out Fognini after Mo tires him out. Six one four six six four six one. You have Pui over Baghdadis. You have Basilish Vili over Sock. Uh, actually, we can talk about that one real quick. Stokowiak, you knew not to have faith in Jack Sock. I did not. I was naive. Yeah, Ugh. I mean, how are you feeling? Uh, this this was disappointing. Obviously, I mean, this was a golden opportunity for Jack. 
to make the third round of the U.S. Open after the tough year that he's had. I, I just thought, I don't know, and he played a really good first set. He really did. I liked his game. He wins it 6-4. But again, Basilashvili didn't go anywhere. He hits big. He continued to put the pressure on Jack. And yeah, it's disappointing. I mean, once again, Jack gets one win in this tournament. He hasn't won back-to-back matches all year, guys. Just so you know. He hasn't won two matches back-to-back in a tournament all year. And it's evident. You can see his confidence. You could see throughout that fourth set, despite him playing better he just didn't have the confidence to get the break he really just you can tell he's not comfortable hitting backhands he's not comfortable moving forward because he he's done it so recklessly over the past of the you know course of the past year that it's just built bad habits but i also want to give a little credit to bossy really i played well he played i was watching this match i was like this boy can hit the ball no, you're not wrong, and there's a reason Bachelors Vilius climbed into the top 40 this year. It's because he is really playing better, and he's also like Fognini, the Skullhead Company. What is that? Is that Skull? I don't know what skull it is, candy? but it's a nice look. No, it's not Skull Candy. That's the headphones, right? <laughs> yeah, I uh, it's, uh, I don't know. It's the Skull Shirts. You know what I'm talking about, tennis fans. Uh, but all right, let's keep going. Borna Chorich, tough first set against Carbeas Benya, who really could not have played better than he did in that first set, but Chorich wins 7-6, 6-2, 6-3. Nishikori takes out your guy Monfils Rothman, two six two five four retirement. Yeah, that was upsetting. Mikhail Kukushkin knocks out my I think I had him in the quarterfinals. Hyun Chung, seven six, six two, six three. Not gonna waste any breath on this. Chung's foot started getting messed up. You have to worry about his how physical he plays, the sliding. It's but again I, another part. time I want to give credit to the other guy. Kukushkin played great. Yeah, the dude, hold up, wait a minute, let me put some Kukushkin up in it. Uh, he was very, very really? good. There were so many <laughs> other things you could have done with that one. Yeah, but again, our moms are the biggest listeners, so I'm not yeah. going to roll with that. Um, you know, moving on, 25 seed Rayonich takes out Jill Simone, 3 4 and 4. Kachnov takes out Sinego. Kachnov. Garrett Kachnov takes out Luis Sinego. Then he goes and smokes his pack of Barbaro, 7 5, 6 3, 6 3. And then the last seeded match, one we should mention, although my heart is still broken, so I have nothing to say. In fact, can we get this? Murdasco takes down Murray! Can I get the slow violin in the build up to that, Fliegner, please? Because, yes, unfortunately, number 31 seed. I, I can take it from here if you don't want to. If you don't want to say the score, I, I know it, it hurts for you to say. So like while, saying, while the slow violins go, uh, yeah. Fernando Verdasco defeats Andy Murray seven five two six six four six four. Ah, it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Shut your fuck, dude. You <laughs> okay. You still can't make an inside deuce backhand. Go on. All right, whatever you want to say. Um, <laughs> there is there is one another little gossipy to- sort of thing that happened in this match that uh, Matt and I were also talking about before this. So actually, Stokovac, why don't why don't you tell it because you were the one who had the inside scoop on on this. Yeah, yeah. So I was watching this match, and obviously yesterday the uh, the heat rule was in effect. So after the third set, players are allowed to leave the court, take their ten minute break, and then uh, return to the court. Uh, before the 10 minutes is up to start play in the next set. So they both leave the court, and apparently Murray comes back and before Fernando, and when he gets back, he has some choice words for the chair umpire, basically saying <laughs> um, that Fernando was getting coached 
uh, during the 10 minute break, which is not allowed. You are not allowed to receive coaching during this 10 minute break. You can do pretty much anything else. You can eat, you can go to the bathroom, you can take a nap, you can do whatever you want to do, but you can't get coaching. Murray came back and was basically complaining to the chair umpire that Verdasco was receiving coaching, which is not allowed. So anyway, they come back, they play the rest of the match. Verdasco obviously wins 6-4 in the fourth, and Murray, you know, tweets something out later saying that, you know, the rule during the 10-minute break should be that everybody is treated the same, and that if one person gets coaching, everybody should get coaching. Why does one person get preferential treatment, and in this case, Fernando Verdasco? I, 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 that argument sounds very similar to something yeah. said by someone on this podcast earlier. I was waiting for you to do that. <laughs> However... Verdasco clapped back in his press conference and said, oh, no, no, my coach was down there, but he was just using the restroom. We didn't, we didn't exchange any words. We didn't talk to each other. And so I call BS on that, first of all. That, that is not true. If the coach was down there, Fernando even admitted that he was down there, you know, inside that locker room area. I know there were words exchanged, and Andy Murray was right there. So... You know, Fernando obviously denied it, said that no words were exchanged and that no coaching was given. But then Andy sent out a tweet earlier today saying that he's going to go to the doctor uh, because apparently he has uh, he has a syndrome or he he's so forgetful that he doesn't even know what he saw. (laughs) And then hashtag uh, liar, liar, pants on fire. So (laughs) Andy, it's it's so pathetic and childish, but also. It is, but here's the thing, guys. my girl Fergie, no more drama. No, no, no more drama. Here's the thing. I believe Andy. He's not going to tweet that out and and go into that. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) All right, sorry. I I hate to do that. (laughs) Keep going. Keep going, man. That's how you know it's that time of the pod. Yeah, sorry, man. Just to finish it up. I believe Andy because he wasn't going to go that far in his press conference and tweet all that out. If, if something didn't really happen, he blew up at the chair umpire. He wouldn't have made this big of a deal out of it if nothing happened. So I do believe, Andy, I do think that Verdasco got coached when they were down there uh, during that 10 minutes. And if that's the case, somebody needs to be down there. Rothman, we were talking about this before. A very simple fix yeah. to this is just send somebody it's with crazy. them into the locker room so that there's no coaching. It's an easy fix. Do you, uh- yeah, it's cr- I like I can't believe we were yeah you're, like you were saying we talked about this earlier I can't believe they don't already do that like that seems like a they kidding. should just have they should have Mo down there and he can just coach everyone it's probably the most fair thing if he's just oh, giving the same yeah. advice to everyone <laughs> all right but on that note uh, you know one last time no no drama no 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 no, no, drama. no drama <laughs> all right oh. but on that note let's move on. Other winners on the day, Stan Wawrinka takes out Ugo Umbert, 7646-6375. As we mentioned, the draw opening up very nicely for Stan. Taylor Fritz survives Jason Kubler, another guy who rolls his ankles, 6-3-3-6-6-3. Fritz now takes on Dominic Team. You know that's a match I'll be talking about later. We have Cole Schreiber versus Ebden, Struff versus Benito. Or, sorry, Cole Schreiber taking out Ebden, Struff taking out Benito, Lagovic taking out my guy Cam Nori, Guido Pea taking out Paolo Lorenzi, and I believe just recently finished Richard Gasquet, last match of the night, takes out Laszlo Gier, 6 3 7 6 6 3. 
setting up our third round and everyone's favorite segment of the show. Rothman, cue the drum roll with me, please. It's time for this week's Changeover Chat. The Changeover Chat. Our chat, our chat, our chat, our chat. It's our changeover chat. Our chats, they got you. They got you listening. Ooh, listening to the Great Shot Podcast. Listening to Great Shot Podcast. But okay, it is time for this week's changeover chat. As we do in all of these recaps, we're going to go quick this time because we went a little long there with our breakdowns. I'm not going to argue with you. I, I can't promise that, actually. But we're going to go Stokowiak, then Rothman. Today, let's go big three biggest losers first, three biggest winners, and then we'll talk about the matches we're watching in round three. Uh, I'll start with the biggest loser. I'm going to go ahead and wait, say... Wait, wait, wait. You, again, see, this is why I host. I said Stokowiak. Oh, I wasn't listening to you. I don't like <laughs> listening to you. Stokowiak, Come on, guess first. I, I, I do guess respect first. you, though. Please go. Um... <laughs> I got to start with Jack Sock, right? I mean, again, he it seems like we talk about him as a big loser all the time, but I mean, I'm going to have to continue to do it until he, you know, has a breakthrough tournament and then we can finally put him in the biggest winner category. Um, you know, Nicolas Basilashvili is a great second round draw. Thought that's a match he should win. Lost it in 4. He's number 1. Um I guess number 2, I'll go with the um I don't know, just the Nick Kyrgios drama again. I mean, it seems like every tournament, it's something, you know, one thing or another with him. I'm tired of it. I I like watching the guy play, but look, at the end of the day, I just want to see him play good tennis. In every single event, there's one thing or another that's, you know, we we end up talking about with him. So that's number two. Um, Number three, uh, let me see here. Um, How about... Um, how about the rolled ankles? I mean, and just the retirements in general. I mean, I'll say that that's one thing that I, you know, biggest losers, just because I hate to see these retirements, you know, the injuries, hopefully for the rest of the tournament, we can avoid, you know, any more injuries. Um, you know, the heat is supposed to be getting better, uh, for the rest of the tournament. I think starting tomorrow, actually, it's going to be noticeably cooler. So hopefully nobody has to default due to, uh, you know, heat-related illness. And then hopefully we can keep the ankles, uh, you know, from rolling because that was, uh, it was obviously not fun to see. What you think, Rothman? I, I like those. Um I'm going to go first biggest loser. I'm probably going to have to go to the line judge that gave a code violation to Cornet for for taking off. Real quick, bigger loser, that line judge or Mohammed? Oh, definitely this line judge. Mohammed's my guy. Oh, yeah. He was fun. Mohammed, he's a winner um, from that, that's what I, He made he Nick Kyrgios good at tennis. Mohammed you know is definitely a winner. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, yeah, I just think it's absurd. Guys take off their shirts all the time. It's a double standard. I don't. I don't want to get too much into the politics, but I just thought that was ridiculous. That she no had a more drama for that. Yeah, no, no more no, drama. No, no. Um, second biggest loser, Stevie's backhand. Figure it out, bro. Just get a one hander and, <laughs> and and you'll be good. Um, and then the third biggest loser is Gruskin's forehand. And I'll, and I'll I knew you, you were going to say that. I just changed my disappointments to I've never been more disappointed than when we're up 30-40 and you missed the return. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So I'm gonna go real quick. Again, agree with you guys, uh, particularly you, Stokowiak, on the Nick Kyrio sentiment because I want to talk about his tennis. I don't want to talk about all the random bullshit that goes along with it. He's too talented to have so much of the conversation talk about his off-court antics or his on-court poor antics. Uh, my second, the generation of Jack Sock, Grigor Dimitrov, Karino Busta, Schwartzman, Goffin, Rayonich, those 25 to 27-year-olds who really should be in the primes of their careers right now, they should be the guys with the one through fives next to their names, and yet... They all f- suck right now. Like, none of them can buy a win. Of the group I mentioned, only Schwartzman, Goffin, Rayonich remain. You know, Rayonich has a tough match now versus Warinka. Goffin, Schwartzman, neither of them are really favorites to win this thing. Just disappointing to see. And then number one, I mean, you guys gave a lot of good answers. I'm going to stick with Chung and Tsitsipas. To have the years they did end this way. Couldn't like agree that, more. That I was going to Definition that. of definition of disappointment for sure but all right let's move on real quick again stokoyak three biggest winners um number one well i don't know if these are going to be in any particular order but i'll give you three of them john isner for sure is one of them the way that he came back in that match against nicholas jerry unbelievable um i i didn't see it coming i thought for sure he was out i think that victory can actually propel him throughout the rest of this tournament i love his third round matchup with loyovich uh, I think he's got a chance if he can recover physically to go pretty deep in this tournament. So he's a big winner. Um, number two has to be, I, I have to say, Daniil Medvedev. This guy was my dark horse coming in. I mean, he's continued to win. He's on an eight-match win streak right now. Uh, I just, I think the guy is on a roll. He's confident. I also love his matchup with Borna Chorich. I think that could be a great match. I'm hoping for five sets. Uh, but again, I think Medvedev can continue this streak and and turn his eight-match winning streak into a nine-match winning streak. Um, and number three, I guess I'll go with Rafa Nadal and the sleeveless uh, shirt again. I mean, Hell this yeah. guy... When he plays in sleeveless, this is a throwback to like six, eight years ago when he was just rolling everybody and he was dominant. I mean... I love this answer. When I, this is a non-Stokoyak answer. When I saw Rafa... I'm going to go ahead and say it's Rothman and Dude. <laughs> I was going to say the force is strong in this one. <laughs> when I saw Rafa busting out the sleeveless, I, just, I was like, uh-oh. Uh, something's this, something's gonna go down here, the like Spanish sex appeal. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is bad for everybody other than Rafa. Like, I feel sorry for his opponents. So, I think Rafa is he might be on his way to a, uh, defending his U.S. Open title here. I love the way that he's playing, and I think a lot of that has to do with the sleeveless. Skovac, you know I love that take. I'll be quick with you guys on my winners. Uh, first one, I'm actually gonna give to Kyrgios. Uh, I know he got a little help, but to go from where he was to where he went, he usually would just tank and, and let it go. Uh, wow. Good for him uh, for you know coming back through that one. Got to give him some props. Uh, second biggest winner, the literal biggest winner, Marin Cilic. The dude went 6-2-0-0. Oh, no. He double bageled a guy at a grand slam. That's nuts. That should never happen. And then the other biggest winner, I'm actually going to go ahead and give it to Lacoste. I'm super into their new tennis gear i think it's sick the only problem is that it's 115 dollars for a shirt but the designs are cool i'm in i'm into it you know me i'm usually a nike guy i like their stuff for the most part except for when they went all pink for like 
way too long and then I was <laughs> over it. But for the most part, I, I've really been kind of a Nike guy and I'm, I'm super impressed with their designs. I think it's some, some good looking stuff. And if they want to send me a free shirt, I'd wear it. But I'm, I'm sorry, I probably won't pay 150 Well, hopefully they supply some clothing for the live show in Indy. That would be great. Um, Hell yeah. I'll go Girls quick. Hit us with it. Biggest winners in no particular order, the top seeds who have yet to drop a set in this tournament. Daniil Medvedev, who rebounds from Winston-Salem, makes me look like a fool for thinking he might be tired. You know, wins against Donskoy and Tsitsipas, has a great opportunity against Borna in the third round to establish himself as the next-gen player outside of Zverev to beat. Uh, and then my third winner, Ben Rothenberg, for having this Twitter exchange with Nick Kyrgios after Kyrgios deleted a tweet. He said, are you going to delete this one too or actually stand by something? He said, that's hilarious because every time I see you in person, you don't say anything. You're a true keyboard warrior. Rothenberg, vice versa. Do you want to meet at Mangolia to talk it out? Cupcakes on me. Curious, haha, no, I'm good. I've gotten my daily entertainment out of you. Ben Rothenberg then with the gem. Guessing you'll be free next week, so let me know if you change your mind. That is f***ing hilarious. I cannot believe he said that. Pretty much, you know, he's saying, Kyrgios, you're not making the second week of the U.S. Open. We'll have time to hang out. That is the ballsiness I hope to one day have as a journalist and as a fellow U of M alum. Shouts to Ben Rothenberg. Way to rep the Wolverines well. All right, real quick before we go, I'm just going to list the matches that are round three matchups. Uh, Stokowiak, Rothen, I'm just give me one favorite. I'm not going to want three. But in the Rafa quarter, Nadal Hatchnov, which Nadal leads 4 0 head to head all time. Team Fritz, team leads 1 0 all time, beat him in four sets at last year's Open. Shapoval of Anderson, first career meeting. Delpo Verdasco, Delpo leads 4 1. They last played 2017 with the Delpo win. Chorich Medvedev, Chorich leads 2 1, beat him at Cincy <laughs> just a few weeks ago in straight sets. Rayonich Wawrinka, Wawrinka, 4 1 career head to head. Zverev Kohlschreiber tied to all, but since Zverev hit puberty, he has not lost. Chilich versus Dimonauer, first matchup. Schwartzman, Nishikori, Nishikori up 2-0. Fed Kyrgios, we talked about that extensively in the preview. That should be a fun one because Kyrgios always seems to bring his best against Fed. And then Djokovic-Gasquet. Who knows how many more times we're going to see that, but Djokovic leads that career head-to-head 12-1. Again, I'm putting you guys on the spot. Matt, George one of Medvedev. those Matt, You only Sorry, George, I'm, for sure? I, I, no, no. I had, I had to you're throw that, it out. You're that certain. Yep, Not Fritz my, team? I thought you were going to say Fritz team. No, nope, George Medvedev. I'm so excited. Fritz team will be a great match, but George Medvedev. Stokowiak? I, that's literally what I was going to say. I have nothing else to add. Boom. Uh, that's it. Wow. I... I'm going to be a little different. I mean, if you do, anyone who's not saying Federer Kyrgios is out of their minds. And the only way that match could be any better is if Mo is back in the chair for that one as well. If Fed's like, no, 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 Hell bring yeah. him as the chair umpire. Like, I'm still going to win. Trust me. That yeah, I mean, amazing. Fed Kyrgios is popcorn worthy, but George Medvedev is like a little more of a low-key matchup that is yeah, must-see. Yeah, I get it. You guys think you're you're a hipster now. You've been on this, you've been on this podcast for too long. You're agreeing with a Rothman. Next thing you know, you're going to be on a fake keto diet. No. <laughs> no. Negative. Uh, that, was, that was probably your best dig so far. <laughs> hey, great shot. I love it. Well, then, on that note, we'll wrap it up. It's been a loose podcast dating back to that you know high-energy intro. I want to thank both you, Stokowiak, as well as you, Rothman, for sticking through it with me. It's 12.04 East Coast time now, so this was a late pod, by, even by our standards. Uh, Stokowiak, you have 30 seconds again. What are you looking forward to for the next, you know, 
48 hours before we record next. Oh, man. I mean, all these matches are going to be great. You know, you, you said to pick one. Obviously, I'm looking Chorich, Medvedev. But, I mean, you look up and down the line, there's going to be fantastic tennis played. Nadal, Kashinov, you've got Fed and Kyrgios. I mean, even Del Potro, Verdasco could be good, possibly. Rainich, Wawrinka. I'm ready to watch this tennis, guys. I don't know about you, but I think all of these matchups have some potential to be really, really good matchups. So uh, it's going to be good, and we'll be back again soon. I'm glad to hear it. Same thing, Rothman. Assuming you watch tennis when we're not podcasting, as opposed to not podcasting and watching tennis when... uh, That uh, made no sense. We're going to just say, you know what? It's great tennis. There's great matches coming up. I love the U.S. Open. And hell yeah. Let's try, baby. <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Well, then we'll wrap it up there. You know, I cannot end an episode without thanking our super producers, Westoff and Fligner, who, as always, make us look way better than we are and have a fuck of a job. Beautiful human you. Yeah. Oh, Humans, my gosh. Excuse me. We talk about paparazzi Westoff himself. What a great guy. But yes, <laughs> one last time for my wonderful co hosts, Max Rothman and Matt Stokowiak. For our super producers, Daniel Westoff and Max Fliegner, and from the entire Cracked Rackets team, Rothman Stokowiak, what do we say to our listeners? Hey, hey, great shot. Great shot. (laughs) I love it, and we will see you all next time. Enjoy round three, everyone.